Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us in the name of jesus christ may in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil illnesses poverty premature death demonic dependencies all forms of fears phobias depression destruction ignorance selfishness all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Be blessed. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Called to perfection. This promised commandment, is written in the book of Matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady. They are the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commitment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of the person sent by God have no relation to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have a relation to it. We have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person that is expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God, agape. This is written in Colossians 3, 14 through 15. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful, or be friendly. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If we are clothed in the selective love of God, in the selective God, a love of God will dwell in our hearts and we are again clothed in it. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is written in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through 8. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. We have understood quite well that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God and are given to us through Christ, which we must become enriched with. And to enter into the inheritance of these virtues is possible only by accepting the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. 
And by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. And so these precious promises begin from virtue. And we know that virtue, in virtue, we had to open the source of all good, which is God. But no one has seen God ever. Therefore, God reveals himself in specific living things and people. And before us, there stands the Church of Christ, the chosen remnant of God, is presented in a virtuous wife that has the quality of narrow gates. That person that has found it has virtue. After this, a person begins to have knowledge when he is taught in this kind of church and begins to agree with God, what God calls evil and what God calls good. Self-control allows him to reject all that which God calls evil and to choose all of that which he calls good. The patience of Christ allows us to wait with patience for that which God calls good for it to be fulfilled in our life. And godliness allows us to keep our crown through sanctification. We keep our dedication. Brotherly love is an important quality that transfers us from the state of death to the state of life. And love is a quality that will allow us to present all of these qualities that were listed, which will lay as a, found, as a coronation on the head of the Church of the Lord Jesus and is going to be the bond of all perfections. It is with these characteristics that the Church of God is going to be presented by the Holy Spirit and brought out to the Heavenly Groom to meet on the clouds. And then the Heavenly Groom will take this bride in order to show her before the Holy Yahweh, before the Heavenly Father. Right now, this bride is being prepared on the earth. And so the selective love of God expressed in seven dignities and characteristics has nothing in common and cannot have anything in common with human love that is filled with uh, ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. because of which it is the fruit of the selective love of God contained in the form of seven virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and in its place reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And before us were placed four questions. We are continuing to study the sixth quality, brotherly love, the first question sounded like this. What does scripture say about the origin and essence of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? The second question was, what purpose is the love of God agape that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill in the demonstration of it in our faith? Third, what condition is necessary to fulfill to receive the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? And fourth, which we have stopped to study, by what signs should we test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith? the signs, fruits. And today we are going to study the sixth sign. The sixth sign according to which you must test yourselves for the subject of demonstrating the love of God shown by us in brotherly love is according to the ability to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer with supplication and thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. Philippians 4, 5-7 Let your meekness be known to all men. 
The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In this place of Scripture, the character of the fruit of the Spirit and the property of meekness, through which we are called to bridle our lips with the truth hidden in our heart, it is placed opposite the character of the works of the flesh that discover themselves in the property of disobedience to the truth or unbelief to the truth. The ability of the meek tongue to be anxious for nothing in the sphere of earthly well-being is opposed to the anxiety of a person whose lips are not bridled by the bonds of meekness. As it is written, Proverbs 15.4, A meek tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. In talking about anxiety, we should pay attention to three main things that anxiety, leading to the breaking of our spirit, are the genetic bonds of fear passed on to us through the sinful seed of our fathers, which we are bound by because we did not grow in the soil of our good heart, the fruit of meekness, with which we could bridle our lips, which would be a sign that we are showing the power of brotherly love in our faith. Secondly, anxiety, which a person is bound by, is the result of his stiffness, which is identical to the occult resistance of the liberty of Christ that is contained in the truth of the preached word that is called to free us from slavery unto sin in order to make us slaves of righteousness able to bridle our lips with the truth hidden in the heart. Anxiety that a person is bound by is ignorance, and ignorance is always occultness. Thirdly, this kind of anxiety points to the bad soil of his heart, which he refused to cleanse from dead works. In order to accept and grow in the good soil of his heart, the fruit of meekness in the subject of the tree of life. This can be observed when comparing the meanings contained in these two words that are opposite of one another according to their character and their origin. Two words, cares and meekness. Two completely different words, cares, that discover themselves in anxiety, is disobedience, disbelief, disobedience to the faith of God, the tongue not being bridled by meekness, it is cold, stiffness, they are the snails of the evil one and the path of death. This, this is what cares are. And take a look. It begins with disobedience and disbelief. A person doesn't want to cooperate his faith with the faith of God. What does this bring to? To cultness, stiffness, and then finally he falls into the snares of the evil one on the path of death. Here is meekness that discovers itself in a bridled tongue. It is first the tree of life, grown in the soil of a good heart. It is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. It is wisdom, strength, firmness, power. It is trust in God in his word hidden in our heart. It is mercy, compassion, and the snares of the kingdom of heaven that we have caught ourselves in. In cares, a person catches himself in snares of death, but a person who is meek catches himself in the snares of the kingdom of heaven. And so, anxiety is expressing disobedience to the order in the body of Christ, which classifies a person into the category of lawless people who oppose the truth of the preached word and try to clothe the deeds of the flesh in garments of external piety. Whereas the meekness of the heart, discovering itself 
amicalypse is the definition of the fruit of the Spirit, testifying of the presence of the tree of life, grown in the spirit of a person. One more time, this was a scripture, Proverbs 15.4. Amitang is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The property or the fruit of the spirit and the property of meekness with which a person bridles his lips with the truth hidden in his heart is evidence that he is clothed in the mantle of a disciple of Christ, which gives him the ability to be taught by Christ to oppose the words that come from his personal flesh in order to open his lips for the proclamation of the truth hidden in the heart. Matthew 11:28-30. Let us take a look at the example of Christ. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In order to test yourselves for the presence of meekness that discovers itself in trust in God and His Word, in waiting for the salvation of our body, it is necessary for us, in brotherly love, to pay attention to a specific praise in this sign that we are studying according to which we can distinguish meekness from unbridledness and prudence from foolishness. This is according to our ability to open a request before God in prayer and supplication by thanksgiving, under the condition that these requests are bridled with the bridle of meekness, which express themselves in the desires of God that yield the will of God. This is a format of a kind of praise in which we, submitting our faith to the faith of God, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent power of life in our body as existent. It is thanks to the presence of a grateful heart that is able to make its requests known to God regarding the fulfillment of the will of God that we should define in ourselves the presence of the fruit of meekness, because we can turn upon ourselves the favor of God only when we present in our praise our body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which gives God the basis to show and affirm us his salvation. Psalms 50.23 Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. But take a look. Based on what we read, we can ask, what is a sacrifice of praise? A sacrifice is that which hears God, which God hears. A sacrifice of praise is thanks, is thanks that comes from a grateful heart. And what is thanksgiving expressed in? In the praise in which we, submitting our faith to the faith of God, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent power of imperishability in our body as existent. This is that thanksgiving for which we must thank God for. It is what we must thank God for. And people say, this is a sacrifice. Sacrifice is a praise, as we see in this scripture, uh, because it is thanksgiving from a thankful heart, we can call this a sacrifice of praise. And Pastor has shown us the sacrifice, calling the inexistent as existent, and considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Here is a wonderful sacrifice that God will always accept as a sacrifice of praise, and is ready to work and collaborate with us when we pray with Him. And so on God's end, to show us favor His salvation, as an answer to the sacrifice of praise that we offer to God, it becomes for us a guarantee of the fulfillment of our calling over our enemies, and it was necessary for us to remember the criteria with which Scripture defines the essence and status of the legitimacy of praise called to be a sign of brotherly love. But we will talk about praise. We'll continue to talk about praise. Second, the price 
They're the purpose that befitting praise is called to fulfill in demonstrating the power of daily love. They're the conditions that lead our praise into the status of legitimacy, according to which we can judge that we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith. We have already studied the first three questions and will turn to studying the fourth question, which sounds like the following. By what results should we judge that the praise which we offer God is present in atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life? And we today will look at the first sign. The first sign, according to which we can define, is our praise legitimate? Is it befitting? That praise which God hears. And the first sign which we will cover day fully sounds like the following. The sign according to which we can define the essence of befitting praise that comes from our heart in an atmosphere of brotherly love is called to be tested according to our ability to turn the Almighty in the subject of building ourselves in a spiritual dwelling and holy place. And so the first sign for God through which He defines the fitting praise is how we turn to Him. Do we turn to God in praise on what subject? What, what is important to us? From this is where befitting praise begins. Why are you praising me with that question? Why do you need me? Why have you come to church? Why are you sitting in this place? Father asks me. Tell me, Daniel, why? Before you pray, ask yourself, why? In here, it is written that I am in this place that I can be built. I can build myself in a spiritual dwelling and holy place. I am found in the house of God so that I can become a house in which His Majesty Yahweh will feel comfortable so that I can be a house of God in the temple of God in which I can bring a sacrifice of praise unto God. He says, wonderful. This is a wonderful sign according to which we define true praise that is befitting. Let us read a place of scripture which we will focus on. It is taken in the from the book of Job, chapter 22, verses 23 through 30. If we return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him, he will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You also declare a thing, and it will be established for you. The light will shine on your ways. When they cast you down, and you say, exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. All of this is talking about how God wants to make us his home or his temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And to test ourselves for the fact that our body is built or our body is built into a house of the Lord and that the praise that we offer God expresses itself in an atmosphere of brotherly love that brings us from death to life should be done according to the following components. There are ten of them and we will study them today. First, the removal iniquity from our tent. Second, the ability to lay the gold of Ophir in the dust. Third, call the Almighty our gold and precious silver. Four, delight in the Almighty and lift up our face to Him. Five, 
the ability to be heard in prayer, six, the ability to pay our vows, seven, the ability to fulfill things we have declared, eight, the light will shine on our ways, nine, the ability to see exaltation in being cast down, and ten, the ability to be delivered by the purity of our hands. This is all that is necessary for us to become a temple of the Holy Spirit or the house of God in which dwells and lives God as the Lord and ruler of our life. And so, in short summaries, we will aim to define the essence of each component, which according to its essence is the price according to which we can define befitting praise that comes from our pure heart in an atmosphere of brotherly love that brings us from death to life. And so, ten components let us turn to the first component to remove iniquity from our tent under which we mean our body means to take off the old man with his works or to set aside the former way of life of the old man growing corrupt in deceitful lust Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 15 in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so in this place of scripture, taking off the old man with his works is a circumcision made without hands. When a person was circumcised in the flesh, when Jews were circumcised, then hands were used. But here it talks about a circumcision made without hands, circumcision in which hands were not allowed to be used because the heart would be circumcised but how can we circumcise our heart with our hands in this place of scripture taking off the old man with his works is a circumcision made without hands in which god affirms with us the eternal covenant of peace which we made with him in the functions of baptisms in water holy spirit and fire if we are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands having taken off the sinful body of the flesh through the circumcision of Christ and the death of the Lord Jesus, in which we with the law die to the law, live for the one who died and rose for us. This means that the praise that we offer God is presented in an atmosphere of brotherly, brotherly love which leads us from death to life. And so the first component, as we had read together, is to remove all iniquity from our tent. This is to carry out a decree or to take off the old man through the circumcision made without hands, which is taking off the old man where a person circumcises his heart. The second co component is the ability to lay the gold of Ophir in the dust, which means to be a partaker to the root of all good or to rule over money and not depend on money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7-11 For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, 
and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, a man of God, flee things, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And so the root of all good, which is placed opposite of the root of all evil, is the decision of a person to make a choice between life and death, preferring life, which discovers itself in the fulfillment of the statutes and decrees of God that are based on the foundation of the ancient commandment. So with joy to honor God with tithes and offerings, cutting the root of all evil, which is love for money. Malachi 3, 7-10 Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from ordinances, you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be there not be room enough to receive it. So if we with joy honor God with tithes and offerings, bringing them into the storehouse, this means that the praise which we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. This was the second component, and again, I'll remind you, it will sound like the following. It is necessary to have the ability to turn the, to lay the gold of fear in the dust, which means to cut the root of all um, evil, which is love for money. This is through the offering of tithes. This is how we can do so. Third, now we must call the Almighty our gold and precious silver, which means to accept and cherish the law of truth more than fine gold and consider it as sweeter than honey and honeycomb. Psalms 19, verses 7 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, and than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so, if the obedience of our faith to the faith of God has become more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey and honeycomb, this means that the praise which we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. I will again remind you that this is the third component we must Call the Almighty our gold and precious silver. How do we do this? Not when we show, but when we when we show God love towards His Word, towards His commandments. Fourth, we must delight in the Almighty and lift up our praise to Him or our heads to Him, which means to have a pure heart searching for God. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you but you should rule over it. What a close dialogue did, have, did God have with man. Take a look at how God spoke with Cain. 
And so to test ourselves for a pure heart to be done according to the goals we pursue when offering God a sacrifice of praise. If we, upon offering a sacrifice of praise, search for God in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, then this means that we have a pure heart. If, in offering a sacrifice of praise, we search for the fulfillment of our desires, then this means that our heart is not cleansed of dead works. And so, if the obedience of our faith to the faith of God has become for us more precious than gold and sweeter than honey and honeycomb, then this means that the praise we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love which brings us from death to life. I will remind you, we talked about in the fourth point that we must rejoice in the Almighty and lift up our praise and our heads to Him. Fifth, the ability to be heard in prayer means to pray with boldness according to the will of God. 1 John 5, 13-15 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the boldness that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. And so to pray with boldness according to the will of God, we should know that the will of God for us is for us to fulfill our calling comprised of the salvation of our soul and adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. And for the fulfillment of this calling, we are called to take off our old man with his works, renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind, and clothe our body into the new man. And for this it is necessary to pray with boldness. So without boldness, we won't be heard in prayer. We are talk, talking the fifth blessing, to be heard in prayer. It's a great blessing. How do we be heard? We need to have boldness. That coincides with the will of God. And so boldness is the right to power to enter the presence of God, being grounded on two immutable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, which for our soul are like a strong and safe anchor and enter behind the veil. First, is to enter into the presence of God with a heart that is cleansed of dead works with the truth of the blood of the cross of Christ. And second, is to carry truth into our heart in the format of the reigning teaching of Christ in the Twelve Breads. To enter into the presence of God without these two things is to demonstrate audacity before the face of God, which greatly differs from boldness and will lead us to perdition. If a prayer is brought with gold boldness, this means that the praise which we bring God will discover itself in an atmosphere of brotherly love which brings us from death to life. And this was the fifth component that again, I remind you, sounds like the ability to be heard in prayer. Here we understood that we need to have boldness in prayer. And boldness is that which for us is this anchor that goes beyond the veil. They carried the blood and the breads, Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ and his body. The blood of Christ, here very uniquely, Pastor had shown this for us at a different angle, totally focusing on our body, because this anger is where it goes directly to the heart. 
into the kingdom of heaven. It talks about an anchor that goes beyond the veil. It goes directly into our heart. And for this, it is necessary to have two immutable things. This is the blood and these twelve breads, which represented the body of Christ. The blood cleansed our conscience from dead works, and the twelve breads that laid is the truth that was engraved in the heart that was formerly cleansed, and now is found there that great hope upon which our trust is built on. And when we have these two components, and there laid twelve breads, then a person has everything for boldness. This isn't just emotions or audacity, that this isn't just emotions, this is audacity if one plays with emotions. Boldness is the presence of the blood and the bread. Six, I'll remind you that we're talking about ten components. This is for us to define what we shall do on our end, that we can become the temple of God, the house of God, in which we could offer befitting praise. To offer befitting praise, it is necessary to be a temple of God. And let us now warm ourselves in the temple of God through these components. We've gone over five of them. We're on the sixth one. It is the ability to fulfill our vows, which means to be delivered from the death of our soul and to keep our feet from falling, that we may walk before God in the light of the living. This is one of the blessings that were given to Job. You will fulfill your vows. This is very important. A person who brings praise in the temple of his body, he must fulfill his vows. What kind of vows? Psalms 56, 12-13 Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Take a look, he says, Your vows are upon me, and now I will offer praise unto you. Without the presence of these vows, it is possible to offer praise. To understand the necessity of vows that participate in praise unto God, giving God the legal right to deliver our souls from death and our feet from falling, it is necessary to remember what should we view under vows and what goal are our vows called to pursue in our correct relations with God. And then, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to receive the power to the right to offer vows to God? Based on the fact that vows participate in offering praise unto God, giving Him the legal basis to deliver our souls from death and keep our feet from stumbling, ignorance in this discipline of the Spirit has caused many people who have accepted salvation to fall into calamity, because it is specifically our vows given to given by us to God that are called to participate in the circulation of the silver of salvation we have accepted in order to receive it as a belonging. So without the presence as without the presence of vows, without understanding what vows are, that silver that is given it cannot be placed into circulation. That deposit that has been given it cannot bring or offer the fruit of righteousness. And so the first question what should we view under vows? And what goal are vows called to pursue in the circulation of the silver of salvation we have accepted in order to receive it as a belonging? And so, what are vows? And what purpose are they called to pursue? The root of the word vow in relations between man and God discovers itself in the word promise, which God, God gives a person upon man's fulfillment of his requirements in the format of the fulfillment of vows. And so, on my end, 
I fulfill my vow. And God on His end fulfills His promise. In the word promise, Pastor interestingly showed the root of the word promise in Russian is vow. I, I must pay the vase of vows of God. I must know what it is. If a person wants to take a promise, a person wants to take the promise, he doesn't know what kind of vows to pay, what God requires of him. The root of the word vow, a Christian must know what he must do on his end so that God can fulfill his promises in our life. And so let us take a look at the word promise and at the definition. First, a vow is the specific place not specific words, not a specific state of the heart. God begins our vow, our contract with Him. My vow begins, and this is true, very true. At what church do you go to, we're asked? A very good question. God does the same thing. What kind of church do you go to, son? A vow is the place upon which is called to occur a mutual agreement or oath between man and God. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 10 through 22. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. We will uh, highlight the word land here. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as a dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Take a look here. He makes a vow with God and God says, I will fulfill my promise if you fulfill your vow, I will fulfill that which I have spoken to you. And Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Bethel was house of God, is what it meant. Luz meaning almond tree, the revelation of God. Where God gives this revelation, this revelation of God that God has hidden, it is the promise that relates to the door of our hope. And the stone was the church of God. What kind of revelations are found here under this stone, under this rock, under this church of God? Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this place that I am going, and give me bread and to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. 
On the one hand, the image of the land on which Jacob lay is the image of our body, which God swore to give into our property or into the property of our salvation. And on the other hand, the image of the land on which Jacob lay is the image of our partaking to a good wife who has the dignity of a narrow gate in whose place there is a staircase the top of which touches the sky and by which the angels of God ascend and descend to deliver our prayers to God and to bring us the answer to our prayers. If the congregation we attend does not preach the doctrine of the salvation of our soul and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, in which at the doorstep of our rapture the power of death will be destroyed and in its place the power of life will not be erected through which power of life will be erected through which our body will be clothed in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And this congregation cannot be for us the place where a prayer dialogue with God can happen in the status of kings, priests, and prophets. And therefore, in this congregation, there will lack a vow comprised of offering on this place a tithe to God through which a person can give God the legal basis to adopt our body through the redemption of Christ. And so we see how the place is very important. And for myself, I highlight that that land which Jacob had dwelled in is, firstly, the body of the Lord Jesus, the Church of God. His body had to lay on the body of the Lord Jesus, which is God's chosen remnant. And when he laid on the body of Christ, he momentarily received access to all the promises of God. Why? Because he made a vow on his end, and God then revealed his promise and fulfilled it. Why? Because the Church of Christ, it had united with my body. That's it. The promise begins to live. Angels begin to ascend and descend and uncover their truths. And when this happens, uh, we give tithes and offerings. So when this is not there, all my sacrifices and offerings are not accepted by God as a true sacrifice. It's the first definition of a vow. We will continue further. A vow is a place of a mutual agreement, oath, or obligation necessary for making a covenant with God. And so the place, and now it turns out that we must give a promise to God. It is wonderful that we are found in this place. We must promise something to God. First Peter 3, 13-21 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, having been made subject to him. If the congregation that we attend does not preach the doctrine which consists in the arrangement of the ark of our salvation, from the, the church must be preached. The arrangement of the ark of our salvation from the format of a deposit into the format of our property, then we have no place in which God could reveal to us in what way and by what means to arrange for ourselves and for your home an ark of salvation. Take a look. This vow is contained in building an ark. 
And our pastor under this point refers to the fulfillment of our full salvation, that salvation that we receive in the format of a deposit, and then we must receive it as our belonging, or as a silver which we receive must be placed into circulation and must offer benefit to God and to us. Let us take a look at what Scripture calls the Ark of Salvation or how we fulfill salvation. This isn't just, I am saved. Let us take a look at how this Ark was built. Pastor mentioned this place of Scripture, how our salvation is arranged. When I read it, this is referring to us, how we receive full salvation. How we are saved with our homes. Genesis 6, 3-22 and God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Here he offers, Apostle Paul says, he made an ark of salvation for his household through faith. Here he says, Noah, make an ark of salvation. Begin to collaborate your faith with my faith and begin to grow your salvation. That salvation that is given to you, you must build a whole ark in it. Make it out of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. How? What What do you mean? I've already received salvation. What kinds of rooms in the ark? We are talking about the ark of salvation. I was not the designer of the Bible. First of all, I am reading that which Apostle Cardi had written. Apostle Cardi wrote that which Moses had wrote. Moses had wrote that which the fathers passed on to him. And the fathers had heard it from God himself. He says, build for the Ark of Salvation a room, rooms, and cover it inside and outside. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the Ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the Ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. There is a small window. you want to speak with God, there is a small window and it was exactly the measure of uh, an altar. Only through the sacrifice that God accepts. God doesn't hear anything but if it's not in the format of His word, sacrifice. And the door of the ark shall be set in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Here we see the spirit, soul, and body. God saves our spirit, our soul, and then we fight for the adoption of our body. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. So on all those in whom is the breath of life, and they say, I go to church. He says, I will bring upon floodwaters. But you make for yourself an ark of salvation according to scripture. But I've made an ark of salvation according to scripture. Everything that is on the earth shall die. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives, with you. You and your household shall be saved. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. 
and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And so, after Noah, for his part, made the ark of salvation for his soul and for his body, immersing himself in his house in the death of the Lord Jesus, God brought him out of the ark and brought him into the resurrection of Jesus, making the covenant he had promised him. To take a look, he on his end had made a vow to God, and then God gave him a promise, resurrection. This is that vow that Noah had to do. This was to build the ark of salvation, according to scripture. Furthermore, we're talking about vows again. Vow is a place which God builds for us in Christ Jesus in the face of a good wife that has the dignity of a narrow gate, where God receives the basis to deliver our soul from death and keep our feet from falling so that we can walk before the face of God in the light of the living. Psalms 56, 9-13, When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise His word. In the Lord, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. Take a look. Again, He doesn't offer praise until the vows are, are He's binded upon. Your vows are upon me, and now I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Furthermore, a vow in the format of an oath yielding the law of God and holiness of truth is God's eternal dwelling place contained in our heart in a dignity of the shelter of two wings in the format of the meme and arim where we can find rest. Because it is specifically under the shelter of these two wings that God receives the basis to hear our vows and prepare mercy and truth to preserve us, whereas we receive the ability to continually praise God and daily perform our vows. Psalms 61, 6-10 I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever, O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. And so to daily perform our vows means to always carry in our body the death of the Lord Jesus, comprised of the holiness of truth, in order to, each day, give God the basis of the proclamation of the truth hidden in our heart to erect in our body the power of imperishability and clothe our bodies into imperishability. Very interesting component. That here vows are tied to these two wings. And when they are there, and when we are found in the shelter of these two wings, he says, your vows are binding upon me, O Lord. I fulfill my vows all the day long. Urim and Thumim, in other words. And without these, it is impossible to fulfill vows to God. Five, vows containing an eternal covenant of peace between us and God are called to be defined by our functions which we promise to fulfill in a covenant of peace between us and God on the place which God chooses. Deuteronomy 12.26 Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you will take and go to the place 
which the Lord chooses, and not you. And this place is called to be our congregation under the condition that it has the dignity of a good wife having the status of narrow gates. Offer vows upon that place which the Lord has established. We are found in this place, and of course we thank God that God has chosen this place for us. Furthermore, vows brought by us to God are called to be brought with reverence in a great assembly with a kind of praise to God that gives us the ability to offer them to God in the midst of those who fear Him. Psalms 22, verses 22 through 25. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Psalms 22, verses 22 through 25. So vows are offered in the great uh, assembly. What is a great assembly? It is that those who fear the Lord dwell, or that place upon which dwells the fear of the Lord. Scripture says this place is called great to God, and it's that place upon which we can, from which we can offer our vows to God. And if we offer our vows, where? In the great assembly. What is a great assembly? It is a place where the fear of God dwells. And God says, I will fulfill my promises for you. Furthermore, vows are fat offerings offered to God in the house of the Lord with the sweet aroma of rams, accompanied by the offering as a sacrifice of bulls and goats. Psalms 86, 66, verses 12 through 14. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you your vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. All of this is done through prayer. These are different kinds of prayer. And this different kind of prayer, whether it be rams, goats, were brought to God, these pure animals dedicated to God, they were called to be brought only in the format of vows. In the format of vows. That which is brought outside the format of vow is not as a living sacrifice unto God, a pleasing sacrifice. Furthermore, we are again defining what vows are. Vows in the format of our promises to God or our gifts offered to God in the format of our fulfillment of His commandments, giving God the basis to fulfill our supplications in order to cut off the spirit of princes and kings that rise against us. This is for all of those that are scared by those events that are happening today in the world. We need to turn to the vows of God so that we are not afraid about what is happening in the world and we will take a look at who must fear. Those who don't have vows, we have vows, sworn promises. And access to these sworn promises, when I fulfill my vows, God fulfills His promises. And this is His, uh, this is His words in Psalm 76, verses 11 to 12. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. This is the Lord. The name of our God is 
to him who is feared, him who is feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. This is how all these people who look at the church that do not desire good for it. Therefore, we are not scared of all of that which is happening in this world. And we never comment on that which is happening with our fleshly mind. But we pay with the promise of God. Pastor and to the leaders of our churches said to stop commenting about those events that are taking place in Ukraine and in Russia. He has forbidden it. He said, all of that which is spoken, I will say of it in the church. And he has forbidden leaders to talk about that which is happening today on those lands which we have come for, to which we have died. He has forbidden it. Right now we are talking about the leaders of cell, group, cell groups. This is forbi- forbidden to be discussed about wars because there are always dirty and so considering that our vows are functions that we are called to fulfill an eternal covenant between God and us I will mention eight components although many more exist and so we have defined what vows are now what are the conditions for receiving the right to fulfill our vows first condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows is the need to take off our old man with his works by way of proclaiming the truth contained in our heart. Turns out, there is a price, and this is to take off the old man. Psalms 50 verses 14 to 23, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So pay attention, it says, uh, Call upon me in the day of trouble. Apostle Paul says, Who will deliver me? With the law of the power of life, I have been freed from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has delivered me from the law of sin and death. I proclaim my promise in a day of trouble when a person says, My God, my God, who will deliver me from this perishable body? He is brought to shock from himself. And the law of the spirit of life has freed me from the law of spirit of from the law of death. I take off my old man with his works. I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent. The second condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows is the need to accept the cup of salvation that is called to give us the legal basis to call on the name of the Lord. Psalms 16 verses 13 through 19. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. For this it is necessary to accept the full cup. In practice, to call on the name of the Lord means to offer vows to the Lord before all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. Here we are talking about us in our body, as well as in that place in which dwells the fear of the Lord. It is that place where we speak our vows and we thank God for the full cup of salvation. 
through which we offer our vows and for which we thank God. The next condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows is the overthrowing of the mind of our soul in order to renew it with the mind of Christ, in order to receive the ability to collaborate the mind of our soul with the mind of the new man, or to simply renew our thinking. Nahum chapter 1 verses 115. I will read selectively. The Lord has given a command concerning you. This is talking about our thinking, our uncircumcised thinking that has not gone through death. Take a look at how the Lord looks at it. Your name shall shall be per, perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Here it talks about the state of a person that has said, Lord, I want to renew my thinking with the spirit of my mind. Therefore, God says, keep your appointed feasts, cleanse your conscience from dead works, and place in it the word of God, the law of God, and this is called the feast of the Jews. And then God carries out this decree over our unrenewed thinking that there will no longer be carved images and idols, God totally destroys it. Let's look at the next condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows. How the Lord will remember and how God will begin to bless it. Here, Pastor very interestingly showed that the Lord, the substance of our soul and the substance of mind, intellect, that substance has not gone through death. He carries out a, a decree. He says, celebrate Jews Accept the word with which you can then renew your thinking. Now take a look at the mercy that will follow. The next condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows is necessary for the volitional emotional sphere of our soul to speak with our new man with the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts in order to erect the power of life in our body. It turns out that look at what happened in the first component, the pastor says that the Lord specifically lifted up his sword against our soul in the format of our mind that has not gone through death and he had proclaimed a death upon it destroyed it because our body is not going to be able to be clothed in the resurrection of Christ if God does not first destroy this unrenewed mind so let's take a look at this interesting place of scripture in Isaiah chapter 19 verses 16 through 25 here it talks about how a person has a renewed thinking. God has destroyed the unrenewed mind. Now he will return. He will turn to Egypt, give it through which they can then adopt their bodies. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt. In that day, Egypt will be like woman and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt, so the five feelings in the body, will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. We have taken our five feelings under control. 
and they begin to swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction, and that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. So the Lord erects the power of resurrection in our body before He closes it in, in, in us. He must affirm it. And take a look, Pastor, Pastor says, He will set a pillar to the Lord at its border. And the Lord that returns and remembers of it, He returns to it because the altar needed to be placed in the land of Egypt in order to adopt our bodies. This altar will affirm this promise and then after we affirm any kind of promise, then it will be affirmed. Then we have the right, uh, He has the right to clothe our bodies. And so, in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors. An altar that is in the middle of the land of Egypt is a sign for Noah that he had pleased God. Yes, because this altar, as Pastor says, is the presence of the birth of Methuselah that casts out or banishes death, or a person that has built an altar from the temple in the middle of the Egyptian land. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors. And he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offering. They will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, he will strike and heal it. They will turn to the Lord, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. All substances of our body, our spirit, our soul, and our body will serve the Lord. What is necessary to do? It is necessary to place an altar on the land of Egypt. This is evidence of Enoch that he has pleased God, Methuselah that banishes death. And that day Israel will be one of three, one of three with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the land of the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. Take a look here. Blessed is the land of Egypt, blessed is Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. Spirit, soul, and body are totally saved. Alright, and the next condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows is the necessity to have the state of a stranger, a sojourner, and sojourner, giving us the ability to observe our ways that we do not sin with our tongue, and we could bridle our tongue. Psalms 39, verses 2 through 14, I will read selectively. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned that I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. It is necessary to have 
says, For I am a stranger with you, a sojourner at the end of this place, scripture, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and no more. Allow me to die to my nation, household, and corrupt desires. It's says, Terrifying when a person dies to all these things. It says, Depart from me. Allow me to die in the death of the Lord Jesus. Allow me to be immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus, and we will meet in resurrection. Furthermore, the condition for receiving the right to fulfill our vows is the necessity of having hope and tr trust in the word of truth, which we have hidden in our good heart. Psalms 141, verses 8 through 9. But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord, and you I take refuge. To leave my soul destitute, keep me from the snares that they have laid for me, and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. A prayer in which there is no hope, on which trust in God is erected, means that a person's faith of, in God is absent by virtue of which such a prayer does not find favor in the eyes of God. To trust in God means to rely on God, lean on God, trust God, give thanks to God, look to God, show our faith and hope in God, build a building on the hope of God, make God your strength and stronghold, make God your refuge, fortress, and protection. In other words, we trust God or trust in God only because we hope in Him that everything that He promised us in the Word that we hid in our hearts, He will fulfill at the time set by Him. And therefore, when our faith needs to produce something from what God has promised us, then it produces from what is expected, that is, from the treasury of hope, as written, a faith is a substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. And when we have a foundation consisting of a treasury of hope from where a faith can extract and fulfill the expected, then we will have the opportunity to hope for something which will be the condition for obtaining the right to fulfill our vows. And so what have I understood from this? That faith comes from trust. Trust comes from hope. Hope is the treasury. Interesting, on Friday had said that hope is not just faith in the heart. He said that hope are the sworn promises in a good heart of a person. That it turns out that it's necessary in order to just have biblical hope, it's necessary to have a heart that is cleansed to make it good. And when my heart is good, after this, in there can be placed only the sworn promises. I need healing. I have found a few places of scripture and then I begin to put, put God like a kitten in milk. You have promised to do it. I like how pastor said, faith doesn't do this. Faith comes from trust. Trust comes from hope. Hope are the sworn promises that are found in a good heart. What are sworn promises? Is a promise for which God died for. Jesus, before his death, before his resurrection, he healed, he gave money, he did good but I need healing. How? Pastor says, healing, prosperity, and all other things that have to do with our physical life, all of these promises must serve the main sworn promise. The sworn promise is the salvation of the spirit, soul, and body, the salvation of the spirit, the immortal of our soul, and the adoption of our body. Now, question, do I need healing? How? We place this healing in the main sworn promise for which Christ had died. We say, Lord, let the Son of Truth, let the resurrection of Christ 
reign in me and healing in its rays. And so where have we placed healing? We have placed it in the rays of what? The main promise, the sun. Let the sun of righteousness rise. This is the main promise. And in its rays will be healing for my body. This was the sixth component. We have ten of them. The sixth was the very expanded one. Take a look at how long we've been talking about vows. The sixth component, which God said to Job that you will receive the ability to fill your vows to God. And pastor defined what vows are and what price is necessary to pay in order for these vows to begin to work. Let us remember that the word vow is my heart. I do all according to the vow, as we had heard. And then God will fulfill what? His promise. His promises. This was the sixth component. When he said to Job, you will pay your vows. Seven, there are ten of them. Seventh one is the ability to fulfill the things we have declared. It says you will fulfill the things that you have declared. And this means uh, this is the perfection of our salvation for our soul and for our body. These uh, declarations are for the salvation of our soul and our body. Psalms 1 through 5. The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the Lord... Uh, God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purposes. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of the Lord, in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. If we are partakers of the sanctuary in Zion in the face of a good wife from where our help comes, then this means that the praise which we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. Take a look at how many triumphant words are here. Let him hear, let him send. May he defend, may he remember, may he grant and fulfill. Where is this? This is only in Zion, only in the church. Because all of the promises of God that God has promised in Christ Jesus in him, or in him, yes, and amen, through the apostles that are where? In the church. Because there cannot be an apostle without a church. There cannot be a father without children. The eighth component. Scripture says the shining, uh, sh there will be a shining light on our ways. What does this mean? This means the presence of the promise in our heart in the rising sun of righteousness in the rays of which is our healing and our ability to trample the wicked as ashes under the soles of our feet. Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his rays, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, said the Lord of hosts. The phrase, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His race should be viewed as the erection of our body, the power of imperishability, and the clothing of our body in the new man. If we have accepted the promise that relieves the door of our hope in the shining of the light upon ways, then this means that the praise which we offer God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. Ninth, ability to see exaltation in being cast down means... And this is also is a blessing. He said to to Job, "You will accept Saul. You will see Saul exaltation and be cast down. This ability for you to be exalted in Christ Jesus, which means while enduring temptation, to rejoice in the Lord. By having endured temptation, to rejoice in the Lord." James chapter one verses nine through twelve. Let us all listen together. Uh, 
because oftentimes we, um, due to our carnal nature, we uh, cause bitterness to one another. Take a look at, my wife said, can you speak softer sometimes with saints? My, my voice is going out. I can speak so softly that nine, this is the ability to exaltation and being cast down. James verses 1, 9 through 20. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has a sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so at the image of exaltation, which we boast of during our humiliation, should be viewed as our exaltation in Christ Jesus over the humiliation that comes from those that envy us. To boast of our position in Christ Jesus during our humiliation means to endure temptation in order to be tested for our faithfulness and our trust in God and His Word. If we understand the significance of the temptation in which we suffer humiliation from carnal and lawless people in the midst of our congregations and boast before God of our position that we have in Christ Jesus, then this means that the praise that we bring to God is present in an atmosphere of brotherly love which brings us from death to life. And the last component that was written in the book of Job, you will have the ability to be delivered by the purity of your hands, which means to love one another just as Christ loved us. Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 3, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. And so the sins that turn the face of God away from us does not to hear our prayers consist in this. But instead of showing brotherly love in our faith, we hide envy in our hearts, which expresses itself in hatred towards each other, and in this way we defile our hands with the blood of our neighbors. If in the death of the Lord Jesus we die to our people, our Father's house, and our life, inherited by us from the sinful seed of our fathers according to the flesh, this means that the praise we bring to God is present in an atmosphere of brotherly love that brings us from death to life. All right, let us pray. We have gotten very close to Brother Arkady right now. He is studying the signs of befitting praise. Therefore, next time in the future, we will move on in a little bit of a different direction, in a different train. We will look at the eight names of God for the, this is the Lord's strength, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is the horn of my salvation, and the Lord is my refuge. Pastor had started to uh, preach this in November 2018. We are not going to go over it in great detail, 
but we will go over it in short commentaries, uh, in short summaries, these names that we have, and perhaps we will grasp in such a way that the Lord in my shield will try to go over it in one service. We will look at the main parameters, the definitions of it, the purpose of it, what price we need to pay in order to cooperate with His name, what signs in order to cooperate. Because then when we pray with pastor, when we proclaim, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my rock, so that we can firmly know and remember what is contained in these names. This is going to be a very quick highlight of these names of God, and then we will continue to uh, return to that topic that we are studying. This will be in our following services. This might take a few for us to study, six of them. May you be blessed in your prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for the great privilege to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you that upon this place we can proclaim and magnify you and proclaim your promises and to proclaim and pay our vows. We thank you for the great privilege to be found under the shadow of your Thummim and Urim under the shadow of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that reveals it. We thank you that today I and each of us with our body can be re- can be united with the body of the Lord Jesus and being united with the uh, organized partaking and to the Israel of God, we receive access to your promises. Lord, your promises are found and are found in your promises and must be uncovered through the faith of your saints. Therefore, Lord, allow our faith to cooperate with your faith so that these promises that you have kept until this day so that they can be revealed through faith of the saints, through faith. We ask you, Lord, that these promises that are found in heaven today for them to be revealed and uncovered through vows of the proclamation of saints that have kept and that keep themselves in full salvation. We thank you for the full salvation of our spirit, soul, and body. We thank you for our spirit that has been born of God. We thank you, Lord, that the building of the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of Salvation begins from where you allow us to receive access to the material in the format of the tree, of the gopher tree. We receive justification as a gift of grace through redemption in Christ. Accepting it in the format of a gift, in the form of a deposit, we begin to build the ark of salvation for ourselves and for our household. And allow us, Lord, to not stop. Allow us to build, to build this ark so that we can save not just our spirit, soul, and body, but as well as our whole house as Noah had once done. We thank you, Lord, for the promise, the sworn promises of those promises that serve these great sworn promises for which Christ had died. And for this, Lord, we make we pay a vow with you, and you have made, made one with us. We fulfill our vows before you, before your holy countenance. For this, Lord, we turn and we remember and we thank you. We thank you for our for us being foreknown, being predestined to be clothed in the resurrection of Christ. And for this, allow us to first, to set aside the former way of life of the old man growing corrupt in this deceitful lust. For this, Lord, we are ready 
to lay aside all malice so that in meekness we could accept the planted word that is able to save our souls. We, Lord, reject all evil and we choose good. We reject all idols and deities that were present in the former way of life so that we can serve the living and true God. We reject ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow you as the Lord and ruler and the fulfiller of our faith so that you can allow us to take off all sin that binds us and be freed be freed from the bonds that bind us the bonds of the lost that your law was against us and that handwriting of requirements that was against us that you could through your teaching written in our heart that you so that you can become our friend take out your holy law not as just judge for us but as holiness in us we thank you Lord we also thank you for the ability to renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind where you allow us through being taught to be taught to accept to keep and to wait for that revelation Lord that we have received in the preached word and through understanding you allow us to understand and to proclaim that word that is found in our spirit we thank you for the ability to hear the Holy Spirit in the preached word in our spirit and to understand our spirit our soul that is renewed and that has gone through death we thank you Lord for our ability to be clothed in the resurrection of Christ and we thank you for the garments of salvation we thank you for the righteousness of saints we thank you for the marital garments we thank you that you today clothe us in the representative power of the Yahweh of hosts in order for your will written in your word could be fulfilled in relation to your saint we thank you that today you have turned your soul against our unrenewed mind you have destroyed our Assyrians and Judah has begun to rejoice because you have reigned in our spirit our heart not because we were not just because we were born again but our spirit our Judah reigns when we have cleansed our conscience from dead works and we have carried into it your commandments our Judah has begun to triumph and now you turn to our Egypt and our Assyrians and we ask Lord for you to allow us to gain mercy before your countenance and for you to place that altar that today is found in Judah in our spirit that you could place it in Egypt 
that the Egypts, the Assyrians, and Jews in our essence could become could become one in our essence. We ask you, Lord, we pray, we wait for your coming. In your coming, Lord, we have only one care in order to place your altar in the land of Egypt. We do not care by that all of that which the flesh might care for. We care for one thing, to save our body, so that your altar could be in the land of Egypt. Lord, may your altar be placed. May you hear our Egyptians and our Assyrians. May you return that blessing and that mercy for our whole essence which was lost in Eden. We ask, Lord, your blessing to return on the earth. For this we today, we direct our prayer and our supplication to you through our meek lips that are bridled by the truth of the word of God. This, Lord, was your will from the Ancient of Days offered to us and presented to us through your, through the Apostle, through the Messenger. Therefore, we ask that the word be given to our pastor in this holy place for your church so that we can be clothed in that truth and to stand before you we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the great mercy to stand before your Son and your Son to stand before your holy countenance. We have a great desire to see you, and we see you today in Christ. And soon will come the moment when Christ, together with his saints, will stand before you, and saints will see you as you are. We thank you for this wonderful uh, wonderful anticipation that fills our hearts for this trust and this, and this faith that is based on our hope and on your sworn promises. May your sworn promises be fulfilled in your church, and may our vows be heard before your holy countenance, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen <laughs>